0: Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, will a current Supreme Court case cause huge changes to the tax code? Stick around. That's coming up next.
1: Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Kraftwerk Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions.
0: Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka, And this week, closing out the year of 2023, joining us again is the tax girl, Kelly Phillips-Erb, a friend to the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: It is a busy season, tax time, end of the year, a lot of things in the news. And the reason that we asked you to come on is because there is a Supreme Court case right now going on that, from what I can tell, with, with my dumb guy perspective on taxes, seems very impactful to a lot of different things. And so we wanted to go to the expert and have you come on and tell us, are we reading too much into this and what is actually going on? So we're talking about the case Moore versus United States before the Supreme Court right now can you give us a high-level overview of kind of what the case is about and what what's leading to this
1: sure so um, as you mentioned it could have significant impact um, on the tax code and maybe we'll get time uh, have time to talk about why that probably won't happen uh, in a way that I think people were a little fearful of. But I'll give you the kind of the Reader's Digest overview, which is that the petitioners are this couple in North Carolina, and they own 13% in this corporation in India. Um, And it was formed by a friend of theirs. And when the petition was initially filed, they were portrayed one way. I think some information has come out that suggested that the petition was a little simple in its characterization of um, what happened. But basically, they bought a stake. It was worth about $40,000 in 2005 in this Indian company. And the idea behind the company was that the money from the company would be reinvested and it would be used to provide affordable farm equipment to farmers in this particular region of India. That's, That's the the, that's how it is, uh, appears in the petition. So the business did well, and every year it earned a profit. And the Moors knew about this. They knew that it was receiving a profit, but they didn't pay tax on it because under the tax law before 2017, they didn't have to. So the money was reinvested in the company. They never actually took out any money. It was never repatriated back to the U.S. So no tax was paid on this profit in the U.S., So in 2017, there was a huge kind of shift in the way that we tax companies all over the world. And uh, you may remember that there's been this ongoing debate about whether or not companies that earn money overseas should have to pay tax in the US. And kind of one of the big companies that argued about this a lot was uh, Apple. They were kind of at the forefront of that. In fact, Steve Jobs back in the day said he wouldn't bring the money back over until the US said they wouldn't tax him. This has been a problem for the US because there's been literally, you know, billions of dollars sitting offshore. We want that tax money. But the problem that was caused by changing it, as you can imagine, changing the tax system, is what do you say to companies that have just been having this money sit overseas, right? Like, do we give them a break? Do we say, hey, bring it back and we'll cut you a deal? So what happened was the 2017 tax law said, moving forward, we're going to start taxing you on these profits that you make overseas. But for people who haven't yet done that, we're going to put a little uh, provision in the code that requires you to pay tax on that in some regard. It was sort of this this transition tax, right? So you bring the money over. We're going to give you a little bit of a break. You pay some money now, and now you have a clean slate.
0: So it's almost like an amnesty program, right? It, not, not quite, but but
1: I'll call it that. But absolutely, I mean, that's really what they were doing. They were saying like, we're gonna you you write a one time check, right? And like, we're gonna be done, and then it'll be different moving forward. So big companies had some advantages, some, uh, as they often do, for doing this. But the smaller companies and particularly small businesses, some of them were unhappy. Small business owners. The Moors, because of their interest, um, were one of those unhappy taxpayers. Um, so they actually got a tax bill. And the way that this was set up is that you had to pay a retroactive tax, right? So they had started the comp- or started their investment in the company um, in 2005. So they have to go all the way back. And their tax bill was $14,729, which is remarkable that we're having these like crazy discussions over 14 Thousand dollars which I understand is not, you know, nothing, but it also considering that it could have changed the tax code forever is a, is a pretty small amount of money in the grand scheme of things. They did pay the tax, they sued for refund, and that's how we get to the Supreme Court. So they're arguing that the tax was unconstitutional. For, the argument has evolved from kind of the beginning, but but basically they were arguing under the Sixteenth Amendment that you know it's a direct tax, it's not apportioned, therefore you can't you know I never had this in my hands, you can't tax me, right? So uh, the Ninth Court, uh, sorry, the Ninth Circuit actually held that it was constitutional, and that's again how it ended up at, at the Supreme Court. So what would have I think normally. Been kind of a, again, a tax case that maybe went under the radar, like tax geeks like us would talk about, but like other people wouldn't care about, sort of became this poster child for all that is wrong with the tax code, right? Like, that's what it became. And the argument became that, you know, this was about more than, I mean, more, as you know, I'm sure you've seen a zillion headlines, right? Like, so more, so I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. But it became about more than just whether or not This particular uh, small business, these small business owners should have to pay this tax, this retroactive tax. It became about, did they ever have the money in their hands? So what started out as a timing issue, maybe as a fairness, as an equity thing became, did they have the money in their hands? No, they actually never realized that income. Therefore, they should not be taxed on it the reason that matters to taxpayers everywhere um, is because a lot of our tax code is premised on the idea that you get taxed on things that you don't actually have in your hands. And uh, of course, the the classic case on that is pass-through, right? So if you have an LLC, if you have an S-Corp, money that you might not actually get in your hands is attributed to you Uh, on partnership tax laws, pass-through tax laws, based on the notion that you owned a share of something that earned money, it doesn't pay tax, so you pay the tax, whether you take that money out or not. So that's part of the bit that was being upended, right? This idea that like they never had it in their hands, how dare you tax us? The other thing that it became was there's been a lot of talk in the Biden administration about wealth taxes, right? And this is this idea that we have a lot of quirks in the code that exist that allow people with lots and lots of money to not pay tax on that money. And so this provision that the Biden administration and also Senator Wyden had suggested would require people to sort of capture their gain from year to year over a certain amount of money. So we're talking ultra rich people, but they would have to kind of capture the gain so that it wouldn't escape taxation. Sort of what was happening in uh with more and and this these old repatriation uh, situations and so it became this rallying cry for like don't tax us unless we have money in hand right so when you see the headlines and mine was one of them my first article it was all about unrealized gains like you're gonna have to pay tax on unrealized gains during oral arguments it became a lot more than that but that was really what it it was kind of became the this crazy um you know, again, poster child for what's wrong with the tax code. And what's really interesting from like a tax geek perspective is that the um, Supreme Court also changed the way that they accepted amicus briefs, which are the briefs that like, if you have an interest in a matter, you can write a, a, a brief and like, it can be cited and, and the and the justices will read it. And it's sort of like, hey, I don't have any skin in this game, but like, I totally want to tell you what I think. Um, and it used to be that people had to agree agree that they could accept the amicus briefs. And that changed a few years ago, the rules. So now it's not as complicated to file uh, an amicus brief. So if you look at more had like 50 amicus briefs, like everybody had an opinion on this. And everybody wanted to share what their opinion was. And what's really interesting is if you look at the the division of the briefs, there are about half of people saying like, hey, Moore's right. And then the other half saying, no, what we have now is good. So that kind of set the stage for what became the um, oral arguments at the Supreme Court.
2: I might be a little cynical, but did this start as a innocent? lawsuit saying this is not fair or were there special interests who kind of championed this case as the poster child for like let's take on the tax
1: code are you suggesting that people argue things in court because they have a slant they have a position they have a in game how Um, dare
0: you dan (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no. So ex- exactly what you said is what's been alleged, and I, I think it's it's you know I say alleged because I'm an attorney, but um, I think that it's it's also been uh, pretty well uh, documented that um, you know, and and this is often the case. In fairness to the Moors, you know, you pick you pick the plaintiffs that are going to be the most sympathetic. They're going to be or petitioners in this case that are going to be the most sympathetic that have the story to tell that's going to help you. Uh, You know, prove your point. And in this case, the, you have a situation where you have this couple from North Carolina that all they wanted to do was help out these farmers in India and now we're, we're taxing them to death. Right. And so that sort of became, you know, it's a really good, it's a really good uh, uh Narrative, right? So, so that, so because we wanna, we wanna care about them. But you're right; there were a lot of groups that were became attached to to it. Some of them through the amicus Reefs that I just mentioned. Um, some of them were funding some of the uh, the litigation, and um, they that what they wanted. Um, They wanted to prospectively uh, kind of stamp out the wealth tax, right? Like you can't do a wealth tax because it is unconstitutional to um, tax unrealized gains. But then it became, as I mentioned, even bigger because it wasn't just we can't have a wealth tax. It is basically all of partnership tax is wrong because you should never give us, you know, tax us in any regard until we have that money in our hands.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's... There's a lot to this. And, and I feel like if you're a U.S. business owner and your business all exists in the U.S., none of this ever really matters, right? Because you're, the business, it's either going to pass through or the business is going to have to pay a corporate tax rate on profits shown in the year that it's shown, right? It, it, doesn't a lot of this come back to where the profits were earned? Or am I oversimplifying that?
1: Well, so you're, you're actually reciting what the case was about, but, but that's not what it became right? So it was about uh, U.S. owners of foreign interests that had not yet paid tax on their share. What it became was any business owner in the U.S. that has a pass-through entity, if I have uh, an LLC and I don't take the money out because I'm keeping it in for whatever reason, I'm reinvesting or whatever, and it never ends up in my hands you should not be able to tax me on that. I mean, that was what one of the rallying cries was initially at the oral arguments, I believe, that got slapped down pretty quickly. I mean he was he the the counsel <laughs> counsel for the petitioner was very quick to acknowledge that like almost all of uh Partnership tax that's in existence right now is constitutional. I mean, he didn't say it in that way, but they did get him to admit it. at least, you know, subchapter F. Of right.
2: Because, it, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to let you have it both ways, where at least at the C-Corp level, the corporation is paying taxes. And then once you take money, you get taxed as well on distributions or dividends. But if they're going to say pass-throughs aren't, like, constitutional, they're going to tax you somewhere aren't you just aren't they just gonna flip it around and say okay, well, then every entity needs to pay taxes and then you'll pay tax when you receive the income
1: That was part of where the you could tell the justices were going during their oral, oral arguments because they were kind of they were saying like you know if you're trying to make this about realization, you know somebody realized income at some point right and in in the specific Moore case, the corporation had in fact received income they had received a benefit the shareholders never got it because they didn't take it but there had never been any tax on that money in the U.S. because as you pointed out like you either get taxed at the entity level or at the individual level in that case because it was a foreign entity never got taxed at the for at the U.S. level for that foreign entity so you know who pays the tax? And and Moore's arguing that nobody should have paid the tax because there was never any realization in the US. I was going to almost correct myself and say I'm oversimplifying, but I don't think I am because I think that became their bigger argument. I don't think that was their initial argument. And it's very interesting because if you if you go back and listen, I actually saw so I was at a tax conference this week and Tony Nitty was talking about more. And apparently we have differing views on how it was interpreted a little bit, which I'm really excited to talk to him about. we're going to do that next week for a webinar. But um, for this discussion, what was really interesting to me is that I interpreted the justices' skepticism, and I think rightly that they were skeptical, um, as giving uh, counsel for the petitioners the ability several times to narrow the scope, right? Because we sort of started talking about this discussion in terms of it's this big thing, right? I think the justices looked at this and thought, you know what? it's a little thing. Like this is a one issue that I think we can address without upending the tax code. And and kind of to your point earlier, it was very clear that they wanted to make it bigger at the Supreme Court. And so they kept giving him opportunities, in my opinion, to scale it back, to make it narrow. And he was very hesitant to do so. I think the government, uh, the the attorney general, uh, sorry, solicitor general seized on that because she actually referenced it several times in, in her arguments. But it, again, became bigger than I think it really. I think that the justices saw that this was going to become a big discussion, but they were also really reluctant To just say, hey, let's stick to this one point, because they've seen through the amicus freeze, for example, where this was necessarily going to lead. And I think they're trying to decide if they want to address the bigger issues.
0: Are those public record, by the way, like, can we look up who was writing in briefs to, to try and support all, all the arguments here?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you go to the SCOTUS website, which is, I always say it's SCOTUS, but I think it's actually supremecourt.gov, um, you can actually read the original petition, you can read the response, you can read all dozens and dozens of the um, amicus, and you can also listen to the oral arguments and read the transcript. Pretty long. Um, it was actually one of the longer oral arguments because the the justices were super engaged, like right out of the gate asking questions. Uh, I, Claire, uh, Justice Thomas uh, was asking questions, which if you if you listen if you're a regular SCOTUS listener, you know that's really not his thing. Um, He's not known for being his, uh, for back and forth on questions. I mean, all of the justices were very engaged. One of them, and I cannot recall which one I want to say, it's either Gorsuch or um, Alito actually referenced the fact that they had some really good clerks that had done a lot of research for them. So so they came prepared. Like, I think everybody, again, to your point earlier, realized that this had the potential to be a really significant case. Now, what comes out of it will be interesting, because my theory is that if there is a ruling in favor of the petitioners at all, it will be extremely narrow they seem to be more interested in the due process piece than in the uh, realization piece. And what I mean by that is part of the argument was that this was also a retroactive tax. And again, I don't think that that was their primary argument, but that became an argument that I think the justices actually had a little sympathy for. Um, But again, it was retroactive because the money itself had never been taxed, and in some ways we already have those kinds of taxes on the books right like that 's what capital gains taxes are. If I buy something today and i don 't sell it for ten years when I sell it and I get some money from it, now I have to pay the tax on it so um, you know there's a lot of little little uh, examples I think that we can we can point to where or that would be impacted by this kind of decision. So it was very interesting. They asked a lot of questions, even on the gover- a government side, when you feel like they were being sympathetic to the government's position, they still were like, well, what if we did this, right? Like, so I think they're trying to figure where they want to draw that line. And they were pretty clear at the end that that's what they were trying to ascertain.
0: So it sounds like your view is that this is not going to open some massive loophole where, where <laughs> tons and tons of the tax code becomes just completely ridiculous and has to be rewritten, but that if they're even if they're going to rule in favor of the moors in this case what i what I think I'm hearing you say is that it'll it'll be pretty narrow in scope and and likely isn't going to change everything we know and and love or hate about the tax code.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely believe that that's going to be the case. Because at one point, when they were going back and forth, um, Grossman, again, who is the, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned his name before, he is the uh, petitioner's counsel. Um, At uh, one point, he mentioned something about, he kept going back to this idea of realization. And Justice Sotomayor finally said, like, you're just asking us to define realization out of context. And she said something to the effect of it's not, the word isn't even in the 16th amendment. Like you're, you're just asking us. And then so, you know, counsel for the government really seized on that and was like, you know, by the way, I don't think we need to talk about realization and and you know, this is so firmly established in precedent and we don't need to disrupt it. So she was really arguing whether or not this one particular tax is I think uh, you know, we call it the MRT is is actually constitutional and in the government's viewpoint it is.
2: I mean that it's a fascinating case. It's it's fun watching from afar and not being involved. It's mm-hmm. encouraging that hopefully this doesn't turn the whole world upside down because I think if they had to forego those revenue dollars and also had to accept a lower corporate tax, our coffers might be looking pretty, pretty bare, which they already are. Yeah, they already are.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. It was really interesting because at one point, um, Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch actually mentioned something to that effect because the petitioner kind of, they were kind of joking about how Congress can kind of do anything, right? And 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 Gorsuch said something along the lines of, you know, Congress could do this. And the petitioner said, but if you open that door, then Congress could tax everything. And I actually, I tweeted at that moment because I was listening, I was tweeting, I actually said like, who's going to tell him about Section 61? Like. Pretty pretty much, you know, we already say that, that Congress has the power to, to tax everything. It's just a matter of, you know, how do you do it? How do you draw the lines? Is this a direct tax? An indirect tax? Does it have to be a portion? Like all of those particulars, that's really what this case is about. it be, Again, it became bigger. And I think there was this fear because of the wealth tax. I mean, that was really why people were seizing on it, right? Like capital gains and the wealth tax and let's let's make something of this and see what we can stop in advance. And, and then the, the government actually acknowledged that in one of their, their um, responses. They were saying like, you're trying to stop something that hasn't even been... Realistically proposed, just because something appears in an administration's wish list doesn't mean that Congress is going to take it up. And even if they take it up, is it going to go anywhere?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Kelly, I know that you are on a tight timeline, so we want to be respectful of that and get you on to the rest of your day. For folks that want to read more of Kelly's work, she writes for Forbes. Her website is taxgirl.com. We will link it in the show notes. And we are so appreciative of you coming on and taking a few minutes to explain. What's going on in the Supreme Court these days?
1: Thank you. I had a blast. I'm happy to to talk about it when the decision finally comes out, too, because I think we're all kind of looking forward to it.
0: Sounds great. Well, we will look forward to to having you back if and when uh, that, that becomes possible for us. But thanks again for for taking the time. Thank you. One more huge thank you to Kelly Phillips for coming on the show. We appreciate it. She's got a very busy time of year going on. So uh, thank you to her for making time for us. Yeah. More versus United States. That's an intimidating name for a, a lawsuit. Would you want to go up against the United States? Dan, does that sound like how you want to spend your time in court?
2: Doesn't sound ideal. If I had to do it, I'd take one for the team and take on the United States. If I thought it was for a good cause.
0: Yeah. All I've considered going up against is a towing company, but I still haven't, uh, wrestled up the free time to do that.
2: Yeah. I was going to say you haven't even done that and I'm ready. I'm there to, I'm going to be by your side when that happens. Have we told yeah. that story? I think so. Uh,
0: yeah, you know what? Because I, I think we referenced it because it it happened right before we got ready to record one day, and I came home just super pissed and uh, and and we were talking about it. but no, i don't want I don't want to wrap up our show thinking about that. That's a very frustrating note. I still haven't decided whether or not I'm going to pursue that further. but
2: well, i I think you should. i'll I'll do whatever I need to do to make that happen. But I will mention that for anyone who geeks out on Supreme Court cases, there's a great podcast. I know some people listen to other things besides us. But if you're one of those people called More Perfect, which dives into a lot of Supreme Court cases, and it's really interesting. So if you want other so-and-so versus United States, I tune into that. And it's a great way to learn more about like what formed our laws today and a little bit of history too. That's awesome. Dan, I was a
0: little surprised. So our podcasting host, which we use a company called Buzzsprout for that, they sent a year wrap up. And several things about it I found interesting.
2: It's like the Spotify wrapped, but for podcasts.
0: Correct. But they did it before the end of the year. And so they were like, well, you've done 51 shows this year. And it was like, yeah, because we do one a week. And you sent it a week before the end of the year. So it felt like an incomplete wrap up. But I was surprised to learn that our top city in the United States, really our top city of
2: listeners anywhere is Chicago. Yeah. Did, Did that surprise you? For sure. You'd think that something local would be top. You know, presumably yeah. we have friends who are listening to us, but maybe that's not true, or maybe apparently not friends. DC, yeah, Maryland, you know.
0: Virginia, not on the map. N- nobody apparently that knows us has ever listened to our show.
2: Doesn't crack the top five. My own wife is behind because she used to like refer to the episodes that we recorded and oh, I thought this was good. And now I'll mention something and she won't have any idea what I'm talking about, even though it was weeks ago.
0: Yeah. That's all right. well, we she she gets personal access for all of her finance questions directly to you. So it's not like she needs to listen to our show to get access to that information. she can She can learn whatever she needs to.
2: She doesn't listen to me when I'm not on a show. Why should she listen to me while I'm on the show?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. yeah, I, I'm just so grateful. You know, this is our third year doing this. I guess we started in February, so we're not at a complete three full years. But we've done more than 150 episodes of this show. You and I, week after week, trying to come up with fun ways to talk about this stuff. And uh, I'm appreciative both of you of the fact that anybody is willing to tune in and listen. And uh, what what a heck of a year, you know. Well, we're going to talk about the market next week and talk about 2023 year wrap up. But I really wanted to get kind of full year numbers so that we're not looking back on it going, ah, that wasn't quite the full year. Um, but but super cool. So I, I'm just so grateful for everybody out there. I hope everybody's having a wonderful holiday season.
2: Yeah. Likewise, we appreciate all of you. It, you make it worth doing the show. Honestly, if we didn't have all of you dedicated listeners, we probably would have given up a while ago. And uh, if you enjoy it, definitely spread the word. We like growing our family, leave a positive review, send a link to someone who you know, who you might find, who might find it interesting. And uh, that goes a long way to motivate us.
0: If you've got things that you want to hear us talk about as we kind of build our slate for 2024, please send us an email. Check your balances at outlook.com. If you have asked a question in the past, we do not care. We're not limiting your number of questions. We'd love to hear from you again, or if there's other different things on your mind, we just want to know where we can make the most impact with uh, the time that that you give to us and, and that we try to give back to you. Cheers, everybody. Have a happy new year. And we look forward to seeing you in 2024.